What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. It is a tragic day. Queen Elizabeth II has passed away. We look back on her momentous reign as all around Britain and the world people are mourning. And discuss what comes next. I'm Jack Royston, Newsweek's Chief Royal Correspondent. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, a royal watcher based in the U.S. And this is Newsweek's Royal Report. Hello, Jack. Hello, listeners. And hello to everyone, the millions and millions of people around the world, mourning Queen Elizabeth II. The Queen passed away at the age of 96, and leading up to her death, Buckingham Palace released a statement saying that the Queen's doctors were concerned for Her Majesty's health. Um, they said she was remaining under medical supervision, but also that she members was of the royal family, members of the royal family, including William, Charles, Camilla, the Wessexes, and others have traveled up to Balmoral in Scotland, where the Queen has been staying. Later in the day, a footman dressed in black pinned an official notice to the gates of Buckingham Palace announcing the Queen's death. The royal family's official website changed to a black background with a small message also confirming the Queen's death. And the UK government websites also displayed a black banner in honor of the Queen. Now, the Queen died at Balmoral, which was one of her favorite places. It's um, it's her Scottish Highland retreat, and it is where Prince Philip was known as the master of the barbecue each summer. Um, it's a place that clearly had fond, fond memories of her, uh, for her. And one royal commentator told me today this was her favorite place in the world. Um, she passed away in comfort, and it was just two days after her previous uh, job. So this was something that happened relatively quickly. And we certainly hope peacefully. She was the second longest reigning monarch in history and the longest reigning UK monarch, taking the throne on uh, February 6, 1952. So this was her 70 years. She celebrated her platinum jubilee just a few months ago in June. Mm-hmm. And uh, for many of us, the Queen has been far more than a figurehead. She's been an icon, a stabilizing presence someone who's been around longer than most of us have been alive, longer than you and I, Jack, combined have been alive. She's met with 14 U.S. presidents. As of this week, as of two days ago, as you were mentioning, Jack, her most recent engagement, she's met with 15 U.K. prime ministers. She's made it through wars and recessions. And of course, she's done it all while being a mother as well. It's a a watershed moment for the royal family. She is the nation's rock. She is the family's rock. She's one of the most well-liked public figures on planet Earth. Um, And for the most part, she's avoided scandals. People always say that she is virtually faultless in the 
decision-making and the strategic side of being a public figure and the head of the royal family. Um, even those who don't see themselves as monarchists have a lot of respect for her. And no other member of the royal family, not Charles, who is now King Charles III, nobody else has attracted that same level of respect. Yeah, Um I know there's a lot that we're all going to remember about the Queen's reign. For me personally, I just cannot get over the incredible length of it and what she's lived through. Just to give an idea to listeners, she made the UK's first direct long-distance phone call and up until a few days ago was taking official visits by Zoom. That is the scope of her life. And she also took on this position at such a young age when she wasn't even supposed to. Let's remember, she was not in direct line to be the queen because her uncle, King Edward, was supposed to be king. He stepped down after um, he decided that his love for Wallace Simpson was more important than being king. And suddenly the queen's father was thrust into the role and then the queen was in line and her father died young. And so she had to take on that role at 25 and did so with a great sense of duty with a great sense of commitment. She was working about 35 years longer than a lot of people do. A lot of people have, at her age, if they've lived that long, already been retired for 30 years. Yes, exactly. And so the Queen's life, I mean, there wasn't a huge amount of time to celebrate and be happy and go out and do the normal things that young people do um, in her early life. She was age 10 in 1936 when um, Edward III abdicated and her father became king. So, you know, to be that young and have your life completely transformed. Then a few years later, the war started. Um, and so then some of her formative years were during the Second World War. She was determined that she would serve in the military, um, which was not a conventional thing for a female royal to do. But she entered the um, Auxiliary Territorial Services, the ATS, where she worked as a mechanic. Um, first uh, full-time female royal to be in the armed forces, uh, if full-time, that is. And um, yeah, I mean, straight out of the Second World War, um, she basically married Philip. Um, she had two kids. And then not long after that is when her father died and she became queen. Um, and the narrative at the time was very much that the job had had an impact on her father's declining health. Um, so she basically inherited the job that had helped to uh, certainly precipitate her father's passing away, which is a huge amount of responsibility to take on at the age of 25. Yeah. You know what I was doing at 25? Not that. It, it, it is just incredible to have to be thrust onto the world stage in such a monumental role at such a young age. And, you know, she's not just somebody who was queen of the UK. It was the Commonwealth. It was dozens of other countries, too. So this was a huge role for anyone to take on at any age. But she was only 25 and she was in mourning. That's the unusual thing about this job. You have to take it on usually because you are mourning the death of a parent. And uh, I, I think about that and what that must have been like for her back then, because um, it's hard enough to lose a parent at that age, but then to also take on this huge, enormous global position. Mm. And uh, so my favorite things about the Queen's life, I remember reading she, these uh, extracts from her diary were published, at the, which covered the kind of the very end of the Second World War. 
And she did have this period where she was, you know, she suddenly had this enormous release after the whole country and the whole world was caught up in this horrible, horrible conflict. But then peace was coming and victory was coming. So on VE Day and VJ Day and some of these big moments that, the, that brought the Second World War to an end, she and Princess Margaret, her sister, went out drinking in London and they kind of did the conga outside Buckingham Palace and joined the crowds who had no idea who they were and were singing, We Want the King, um, uh, to, you know, calling for her own father to come out on the Buckingham Palace balcony. And they kind of drunk in the, uh, the most expensive hotels in London, in the Ritz and the Langham, the Dorchester. Um, so they, she did have this kind of, she was part of this incredible shared community moment when the war finally came to an end. But then obviously, um, once her father died, she committed herself to a life of service. And, you know, we see, you know, where she died was up in Scotland because that's where she holidays every year. So, you know, all the rest of us, we obviously go off on our you know, glamorous holidays when we can. Um, <laughs> but she <laughs> she has lived this like incredibly kind of austere and restrained life for 70 years um, where she's holidayed in these kind of royal, um, you know, she has, she has been abroad as well, obviously, but particularly in her latter years, she really has spent most of her time in, um, you know, in Scotland and Sandringham and these kind of royal retreats in the UK. Yeah. And I also think it's notable that she really was the first head of state to be truly, from the time she was young until the time she passed away, part of the modern media machine, photographed from a very young age, filmed from a very young age, uh, you know, featured in home movies that have been broadcast in documentaries. Anytime she has gone out, I, I think about that compared to, let's say, Queen Victoria who had some photos here and there, but nothing on this level of constantly being documented, including the modern social media age where, you know, suddenly the queen goes from the former media age, which was quite a bit, it was the 24-hour news cycle, to being tweeted about also at the same time. And so she's really been a part of media in all sorts of iterations. And how she's played that so well Sometimes choosing to make fun of it, sometimes choosing to, for example, the opening games, the opening ceremonies of the Olympics <laughs> in England, where she's, you know, kind of poking fun at her role in skydiving with 007 and other points where, you know, she has kind of poked fun at herself, but then also using the media to give very important addresses, uh, the Christmas addresses, addresses for you know, the Commonwealth anniversaries for the pandemic. And she's really navigated the media in all sorts of iterations that no other head of state has had to before. That's absolutely true. And her um, her coronation was the first to be televised. So just going back to that point you made about, you know, obviously she uh, oversaw the royal family going on Twitter, going on Instagram, you know, mm -hmm. joining the internet. But she also oversaw the royal family having its first coronation on that was televised. It's this extraordinary breadth of British society, which has changed so much in that time and undergone so much, so many kind of yeah transformations and changes. But then, for a, for a lot of people, especially I think older people, the Queen has been that kind of rock of continuity and stability throughout this whole time. Um, and so, you know, if you were if you're 69, then you were born during the Queen's reign. 
um, which is an extraordinary thing to think about. Um, I mean, it really is, you know, the, the overall majority of people in Britain have never known another monarch. But obviously now we do today, you know, as it, it is automatic. So as soon as the Queen died, King Charles, you know, became king. And it was in the statement uh, that way. He, you know, he was literally in the statement announcing her death. Um, he was straight away uh, described as king. That statement from Buckingham Palace read, the Queen died peacefully at Balmoral this afternoon. The King and the Queen consort will remain at Balmoral this evening and will return to London tomorrow. So that being Prince Charles, as we as we have known him until now, and um, Camilla, who, who was the Duchess of Cornwall, but is now Queen Camilla. Um, and so they are going to, yeah, they're going to stay up at Scotland this evening before before returning to London. And the, the whole of the next kind of eight days leading up to the funeral have been planned out in detail. Um, this is all what's known as Operation London Bridge. Well, Jack, tell us more about what Operation London Bridge is. So in the coming days, um, King Charles is going to basically tour the four nations of Britain. I mean, the original plan had him at one stage going to Scotland because I suppose the assumption was that he would, that the Queen would probably pass away in England. Um, presumably, he'll still do that, but his first stop actually is to go to go home, to go back to London, and so he, he there will be then yeah journeys to the four corners of, of Britain. Basically, he'll visit Wales as well. Um, and he'll kind of, yeah, he'll sort of show himself to the public, to the people and be proclaimed in, in these in the different home nations of Britain. Um, so it's, this is, you know, this is one of those things about the royal family. You know, we saw this when Princess Diana died and the royals walked behind her coffin. I mean, it's a huge ask in a moment of mourning and a moment of grief. And Prince Charles, well, King Charles, um, yeah, this is, this is his job now. I mean, he's, you know, barely got a moment to process what's happened and the plan is enacted and this is what he has to do. And as for the funeral itself, there will be that procession from Buckingham Palace to Westminster Abbey when it's time. There are 2,000 invited guests, largely heads of state who will be attending in person. And Elizabeth is then expected to be buried next to her husband, Prince Philip, and her father, King George VI. Yes, and this is going to be a period of real grief for Britain. There have already been people gathering outside the gates of Buckingham Palace in scenes reminiscent of Princess Diana's death. You may remember, obviously, the sea of floral tributes that was left. I mean, this is going to hit Britain really, really hard. Um, the government has been preparing for this for years and years. I mean, part of their Operation London Bridge involved looking into whether they were going to have to hire a private contractor to lower their flags to half-mast fast enough. Um, the, you know, the nation has, been, has always known that this moment was been inevitable and prepared for it endlessly, but also no amount of preparation really can, um, can shield you from the shock and the impact and the uh, the grief that people will feel and it will you know it'll be real i think the nation will come to a standstill over the coming days and um, we've got the weekend coming up so we've got one working day tomorrow and then the weekend and we'll see i suppose where things stand on monday but i would imagine that a lot of people probably won't be going into work tomorrow on friday um and this is yeah i mean especially i think for older people this is potentially going to be hugely destabilizing for a lot of people yeah and also, I, we've talked about it on the show before, but we can't overlook the fact that Charles has never come close to having the level of popularity that his mom has. In opinion polls as recently as this year, 
only 45% of respondents, um, an opinion poll from the week showed only 45% of respondents had favorable feelings toward Charles. And a poll by the Mirror found that 47% of the public just wanted the crown to skip directly from Elizabeth to William because Charles just is not especially well-liked. So Charles, is, the time has now come for him. I mean, he's he's also the longest reigning Prince of Wales, the longest reigning direct heir to the throne. Mm-hmm. So he has been doing his job for many, many decades as well, for 70 years also. I mean, he was a young child when um, his grandfather died. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a moment I'm sure that he has simultaneously been waiting for his whole life, but will also have been dreading and that I'm sure will have moved him um, incredibly. So he now has... Uh, you know, he he now has in his hands a, a nation in mourning um, and a people who are grieving, and they will be looking to him for some guidance and leadership during this time. He will have the help of the Prime Minister, Liz Truss, who will also be making statements, and I'm sure other figures like the Archbishop of Canterbury has already released a, a long and um, moving and clearly very carefully written um, and uh, sincere statement today. Um, and Prince William, you know, his future holds, but he is the Prince of Wales. Um, and that means Catherine, we uh, can only assume is, is the Princess of Wales. Um, so she follows in Princess Diana's footsteps and she'll, she'll now take Diana's title. Um, so it is a, it's an extraordinary moment and like a real pivot at which point history changes course. And from this point on, nothing really is certain because Britain has not had a new head of state since 1952, which was an era where there was real deference to public figures. You know, people were revered um, and that's not the case anymore. Um, So we will see exactly what happens from here. Yeah, we don't know what will happen next. And for the time being, I think we just have to respect that a lot of the world is going to be in mourning, not just in the UK, but the Commonwealth and other people around the world like me who just have grown up our entire lives with this icon and this rock, this ever-present stabilizing force no longer with us. And just to finish this special edition of the Royal Report, um, I just want to look back on the Queen's words at Christmas in relation to her own grief for her husband, Prince Philip. She said, Although Christmas is a time of great happiness and good cheer for many, it can also be hard for those who have lost loved ones. This year especially, I understand why. And she added, life, of course, consists of final partings as well as first meetings. As much as I and my family miss him, I know he would want us to enjoy Christmas. I think those words from the Queen show really what Britain will feel now as well, which is that um, they will be thinking about her and they will be thinking about this final parting. And that, dear listeners, is it for this episode of The Royal Report. Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jack Royston. Thank you so much for listening, everyone.